Welcome to the Small Business Edge Podcast with Brian Moran, sponsored by Oracle. Now, here's your host, Brian Moran. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Small Business Edge Podcast, sponsored by Oracle. I'm Brian Moran, and today I want to welcome Whitney Johnson to our podcast. Recognized as one of the 50 leading business thinkers in the world, Whitney is an expert on disruptive innovation and personal disruption. She is the author of the critically acclaimed book, Disrupt Yourself, and has a new book coming out published by Harvard Business Press titled Build an A-Team, which comes out May 1st. In addition to her work as a speaker and advisor, Whitney is a coach for Harvard Business School's Executive Education Program, a frequent contributor to Harvard Business Review, a LinkedIn influencer, and she hosts the weekly Disrupt Yourself podcast, which in my opinion is probably one of the best out there. Lastly, I'm proud to add Whitney is also a member of the SMB Experts, a panel comprised of today's top SMB thought leaders and sponsored by Oracle. Welcome to the show, Whitney Johnson. Thank you, Brian. I'm so happy to be here. I am I am thrilled to have you on our show. And I've mentioned a number of times uh, in the past about how I was one of the first um, podcast guests that you had, right, on, on Disrupt Yourself. Yes, absolutely. I think you were like podcast guest number three or four. I, You're really, really early. I made, I made the metal stand. I got the bronze. <laughs> yes, you right. did. Yes, you did. So what's interesting is that you, so that podcast, and I'm going to mention your book in a second, but that podcast really had a, um, a measurable impact on me because you, you didn't give me any script. You, and that maybe is the whole method behind disrupt yourself. We just started having a conversation and it, it was revealing. I was I was surprised at how much I was willing to say uh, maybe you're just a very good host. But uh, do you find that you get that out of a lot of people when you when you host your podcast that they, they after they're done, they say, wow, I didn't think it was going to take that route. Frequently, not all the time. I, I think it really, it depends on the person. Um, one of the reasons I like to have the podcast go a little bit longer is so that we can cover a lot of territory. And I just find that as I ask you questions, and I think talking about our experience in particular, one of the things that was so fun for for me is that we didn't really know each other very well. We didn't know, mm-hmm. I didn't know much about your background. Um, we had been connected um, via, uh, I, I guess, a, mm-hmm. another client of yours. And, um, and just being able to start asking you questions and then just following my curiosity. So the more I heard you talk, the more and you're an amazing storyteller. And so I found myself just wanting to know more and more. And then, and then you were willing to share some wonderful stories. And what I thought was so fascinating, and I think this is a really great lesson for anyone who's thinking about being interviewed is that when you were, when it was over, you're like, are you sure that you're going to like, really, are you going to publish that? Like, please don't publish that. And I remember us having this conversation where I said, Brian, trust me, you just said something, you've shared something that was so powerful. There's like gold here and it will really influence and impact a lot of people. And I think that one of the, one of the things that oftentimes happens is that thing that we, we say that we think that other people, that we don't want anybody to know it's the gold. It's like, it's the amazing piece of ourselves. And, and I think, 
your experience and certainly mine and the feedback that we've gotten from that interview that you and I did together has been has been exactly that, that people did discover gold. Um, not only you discovered your own gold, but they discovered gold as well in terms of their own lives. So I totally agree with that, but it has to be in the right situation. I mean, I don't think that I, I honestly don't think that I'm doing that with anybody else. I didn't even think I was going to have the conversation with you. So I think you really brought that out. And and what's interesting, and that ties in very nicely to the book I want to talk to you about, uh, Build an A-Team, which uh, I will get into it in a second, but I do want to talk about. So our focus today will be on how companies can put together A-teams, like all-star teams. But now I want to ask about your book, Disrupt Yourself, because that ties in nicely with your podcast. Um how did you come? So, like your podcast, your book, Disrupt Yourself, had a had gave me you know, an important outlook on the way I run my business and the way I run my life. You know, it's all about the S curve and about where you know you have to get to the beginning of hyper growth, and and a lot of times I found myself falling short of that when I wanted to make changes in my life and in my business. And so I think that was probably the most important takeaway I had from the book is that I had to continue slogging through the initial period until I saw changes, measurable changes. And then I, and then I knew that once I saw these changes, that more changes were to come so that I was in the kind of that sweet spot of the S curve. What I want to know is how did you come to write the book? What what was the the thinking behind it, and how mm -hmm. did you how did you say okay, this is the direction that I want to take? Yeah, it's a, it's such a great question. Um, as with any anything that we write or publish or even think, there's a there's tends to be a really long gestation process. And um, for me, it came about. So I was working on Wall Street, and uh, I was an equity analyst covering uh, telecom and media stocks in, in Latin America. And I remember um, I came across this book called The Innovator's Dilemma by this man named Clayton Christensen at the Harvard Business School. And while I was an equity analyst, I had I, I kept seeing that every single quarter, my estimates um, the for the wireless companies, America Mobile in this case, kept beating. They just kept beating my estimates over and over and over again. And they were completely trouncing the fixed line company, Telmex, in terms of market share. They were just growing exponentially. And when I came across the innovator's dilemma, it helped me understand exactly what was happening, um, that there was this silly little thing that was now upending and taking over the world. Well, the big aha for me came was after I read that book and was applying it to industry, I was having this experience at Merrill Lynch, where it felt like I had reached the top of a learning curve where um, it was time for me to do something new. And I remember going to a very senior manager and saying to him, you know, I'd like to try something new. I'd like to look at maybe being on a management track, et cetera. And, and he really was dismissive. There was a little bit of, I think, you know, why would you possibly think you can do this? And, and we like you right where you are. And so I had this epiphany really, I truly that if I were, if I was going to accomplish what I wanted to accomplish in life, I was at the top of this learning curve and I was going to need to disrupt myself and jump back, back down to the bottom of a new learning curve. And so over the next couple of years, I, I left, I ended up 
um, working with Clayton Christensen over the course of several years, co-founding an investment firm to invest in companies that were disruptive. And so that you know, that that seed of an idea of needing to disrupt myself became this, okay, this idea actually applies to people. And it's a framework at a very high level, even though we talk about products and services and how to disrupt and grow market share, at a very high level, it's this framework for managing change beginning with the individual. And so that began this whole um, process of me trying to research and codifying, okay, what does a framework of personal disruption look like? And that's what you have in, in the book, Disrupt Yourself. My, I've realized, and I think this goes back to your earlier question, is that my why in life is to make it safe for people and um, of course, companies by extension, but at a very basic level to make it safe for people to change. So that's interesting that you use that word safe because disruption is feels like anything but safe, right? You're taking risk. You're, you're jumping out of your comfort zone into, into the unknown. Okay, I'm willing, I'm willing to make these changes. I'm willing to disrupt my life. Uh, you think about the stress and anxiety that goes with that. Um, do you think, how do, how do people become disruptive? I, you know, it, it's not something, I, I think for some people, it's innate. Right. That that they have this this they're like pirates. Right. They got to conquer new worlds after they after they've, you know, taken all of the uh, mm -hmm. treasures of the wherever they are. But for a lot of other people, they're farmers. They simply cultivate the land that they're on over and over and over again. And they never leave that comfort zone. So how do you how do you convince somebody who's a farmer to become a pirate? Well, I, I love that metaphor that you just used, the pirate versus farmer. I, I think um, as a starting point for a farmer, you know that there are seasons. You know, you you plant and then you reap and then you plant and, you know, you sow and then you reap, et cetera. And so there's this whole cycle to it. And I think for um, for us as humans, we understand that night follows day and day follows night, that there are always these cycles. And so similarly, you start at the bottom of a, of a learning curve. Um, you're the disruptor initially, and then you climb to the top. And then it's time for you to jump and to the bottom of a curve and climb over again. It's just a natural cycle. And I think so one of the first steps of helping make it safe for people to change is realizing that um, if you're not growing, you're dying. And once you get to the top of any learning curve, which which with a new project or a new role or a new job is typically going to be after three or four years, you know that it's going to be time to try something new. And if you don't, that that top of that curve, that top of that mountain, where you've got a vista um, and feels like it, you want it to be a plateau can in fact become a precipice. And so then the question you ask yourself is, I can stay here and I can get pushed off or disrupted, or I can choose to jump and I can disrupt myself. And so the way I make it safe for people to change is to help pack you a parachute um, through this framework of personal disruption that I've created of helping you understand when it's time to actually jump so that you know, okay, this is, these are the these are the markers. It's time for me to do this. And now that you're choosing to do this, let me make it safer for you by giving you this seven point framework of, okay, here are things you can do in order to, to, um, to have have a, a soft landing as opposed to a hard landing. I love that. All right. So the, it, it would seem that the next logical step for 
business owners, owners of growing companies after they have disrupted themselves is to disrupt their team, right? Or their employees. So was that the thinking behind your new book, Build an A-Team? Yeah. So what was super interesting for me is um, as I traveled the globe, really, I'm talking to people about this framework of personal disruption. Um, and, you know, how do I know if it's time to make a change? And now that I am, here's a structure for doing this. People would say to me, okay, I got it. I got it. I got it. Um, but how do I, how do I get my boss to actually let me do this? Like, are you saying that I have to leave my company every single time? And then I would have bosses say to me, well, how do I, what does this look like for my team? And so that was the genesis of this next book, Build an A-Team, is recognizing that we as individuals must absolutely take responsibility for disrupting ourselves and our own careers and our own lives. At the same time, we do it within within an ecosystem. And so Build an A-Team is about creating that ecosystem inside of an organization um, so that people can disrupt themselves. And I would argue um, that if you, in fact, the, based on my research, what I discovered is that if you want to know if you as a team or organization are about to be disrupted, mm-hmm. all you have to do is take take the pulse of your workforce, um, figure out where people are on their respective learning curves. You optimally want to have 70% of your people in the sweet spot of their learning curve. So in a role, two to three years, 15% of your people at the low end of that curve where they're just beginning, they don't know what they're doing. They're asking lots of questions like, why do we do it like this? And yeah. It can feel pesky annoying, but it's super helpful. And then 15% at the high end who are on the top of that curve and can see, see what is out there, but also can be a pace you know, a pace car to bring people along. If you have too many people at the high end of that curve um, where they know exactly what they're doing, they're now bored. Um, People who are bored either leave or worse, they become complacent and bored and complacent people don't innovate, they get disrupted. And so knowing that, um, understanding that about a team is actually a very back of the envelope way of understanding if your organization or team is at risk of being disrupted. I like that model. So it's 15 at the low end, 70 in the middle or in the sweet spot, and then 15 at the high end. And it would seem like that the natural progression is that the 70 in the middle eventually become the 15% at the top. And that is the energy or the mechanism that allows you to grow your company because you have to put those people somewhere, right? Yeah. So as, as you grow your company, new opportunities, new leadership positions will open up for those people who are at the top of the curve. And they say, okay, I'm ready for my next great adventure. And for a growing entrepreneurial company, that's exactly what they want to hear as opposed to I'm taking a job with somebody else. Exactly. And so there are a couple of things that can happen there. First of all, um, that when you're at the top of the learning curve, I think one of the best and smartest things an entrepreneur or the CEO of a company can do is say to them, all right, you and I both know you're at the top of the curve. You're, you know, you've learned a lot. You've been fantastic. So there are a couple of different things we can do. Number one is why don't you figure out what else needs to be done? What do you want to do? What are you interested in? And can you make a case for why that opportunity is going to generate five times the revenue of what we're paying um, you and then go play where no one else is playing? I mean, what's exciting about that is that a vast majority of the jobs that are going to exist in 15 years don't yet exist. And so every time you say to a top of the curve employee, 
go find some place to play where other people aren't. Find disrupt yourself. They are in effect um, finding a place for your company to play. So the fundamental unit again, truly, um, of disruption is the individual. Uh, and so that's one thing that can happen. The other thing that can happen, sometimes this will, is if you're able to treat that person super well, respectfully, and it, they get to the top of the curve and there really isn't anything for them to do, if you're willing to find a new curve for them somewhere in the ecosystem of your industry, you now have an ambassador, potentially a client for life. And so there are always different ways for you to manage the top of your um, curve employees. That's interesting. So what you're saying there is, you know, there's no room f- right now for you in our company, but one of our clients has a spot that I think would be perfect for you. And I'm willing to make that recommendation because want to have your best interest in mind. I want to see you grow and be as productive as possible. And two, we'll stay in touch because you'll now be my client. Exactly. And then that opens the door. And this again goes to this idea of playing where no one else is playing when it comes to hiring. It's quite possible that this person could boomerang back into your company. And what's fantastic about that is you now know we can work together, which is huge. And if they've been working somewhere else for a client for a year or two or three until they get to the top of that learning curve and they come back in, you've just now trained a person for three years on someone else's dime or someone else's dollar or euro or whatever it is. And so there's a lot of huge opportunity in in taking that approach as well. Um, And again, also having them stay in the company and going and to the bottom of the curve and asking those pesky little questions with all their domain expertise, but putting them into this new situation where they don't know what they're doing and they have to figure things out. There's such huge value in our willingness to to not know all the answers. So I'm, I'm pretending I'm, I'm listening to this podcast now and I'm the owner of a, a small or mid-sized company. And, and I'm listening to you talk about, you know, my employees and the S curve and, and then, you know, allowing my employees to leave for their clients. It sounds like the 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 key to the success behind this program is being proactive having a long term vision for your company and your employees and what you can do proactively to keep them engaged in your company and and also getting their input. You mentioned that, you know, go finding new places, you know, new sand pits to play in. Um, you know, that's that could be new markets or developing new products or services, uh, right? Or, or just maybe even yeah, entering absolutely. a new industry. So the idea behind it is that you have this proactive approach, maybe a, a one-year, three-year, five-year plan for not only your company, but your employees, yeah. So one of the things I, I do right now, I have, I have all 1099 people, people, employees. So I currently don't have W2s, but I have about 10 people and I'm continually looking at where are they on the learning curve? Do I have people at the low end? Do I have people in the middle? Do I have people at the sweet spot? And what are we going to do when they get to t- that top of that curve? What's that going to look like? And how am I going to make sure that I am not, you know, kind of grasping and clinging to them um, and, you know, wanting them right where they are. And then they end up leaving um, 
and or it becomes strained and tense. And so, so when you can sit down and say, okay, where are my people on the curve? And if actually, if our listeners go to my website at WhitneyJohnson.com backslash diagnostic, you can take what we call the S curve locator and see where you are on the curve. You can also see where your people are on the curve and then map that out and say, okay, I've got, you know, too many at the high end, or I've got too many at the low end. So what do I do to make sure that I can synthetically create that optimized team of 70%, 15 and 15 respectively? That, so you could actually map it out in black and white. Take this, Absolutely. take this, you know, diagnostic uh, exam and and say, okay, I have ten employees, but I seem to be there seems to be an imbalance. I have too many people at the low end and the high end of the curve. So if, if you do find that out, if you do find that there's an imbalance in your company, is it something that that can fix itself with the you know with the same employees, or do you then say? I need to go out and find new people to to bring into the firm. Well, so there are a lot of different things you can do depending on the current configuration. I, I remember um, a couple of months ago, I was talking to a, a manager who was growing their team really, really, really quickly and um, was going to have a lot of people at the low end of the curve. And so the, the answer there was to um, synthetically have a few people at the high end of the curve to bring those low enders along doesn't mean she necessarily needed to go out and hire them, but she could bring in a consultant or two for two or three or four month stints to help bring those people along um, and then move them into the sweet spot so that you would get you would get where you needed to be without incurring huge cost over the long term, but just a short term fix to to load properly load balance where your your team is in terms of the S the, the overall team on the S curve. Right. I, I- all of this is so enlightening to me and I know to the people who are listening to this podcast because having dealt with so many entrepreneurial companies, I I think when it comes to being proactive, a lot of times they're focused on their sales and expenses and it's almost as if they put blinders on. This is not something that is, you know, sitting on their desk first thing in the morning. How do I how do I keep my employees engaged? How do I make sure I have balance? But it's such a critical big picture topic. Uh, so hopefully uh, we're opening some eyes right now with with the podcast. I, I wanted to talk about the webinar that, uh, you, as you know, I, uh, I have a webinar that I host a webinar series sponsored by Oracle for owners of growing companies. And in March, you gave an awesome presentation uh, to the, the the attendees of that webinar about building an A-team. I know you covered uh, the impact that technology is having on America's workforce, um, the importance of maintaining company culture, and then signs that your company is heading down the wrong path. Um, so how critical are the next, let's say, three to five years in terms of having the right team in place for somebody's business? Hmm. Well, so the answer is very. Um, I think, you know, if we look at change, we know it's accelerating. It's never going to, the pace will never be any slower than it is today. Um, And so, so what I think is helpful to understand about this approach I'm taking of, of building a team is to recognize that the solution to being able to manage through change is not out there somewhere. It's it's in the 
the minds that's in the hearts of the people who are working with you right now. And so when we're able to um, create an ecosystem where they can say to you, hey, right now I'm at the low end of the learning curve. I'm feeling a bit daunted. I need a bit more training. Um, and by the way, I'm seeing five different things that I think we could do differently. I hope you'll really listen to me because in six months, I am going to be blind through familiarity. So I need you to listen to me today, not when you, you know, sort of I believe that I have something to say. And so I, I think it's absolutely vital. And what's exciting about, again, about this approach is that you move from your people being something you're just trying to manage to, to the way you manage your people becomes a strategic imperative because as you do, you, you in effect lower your we're about to be disrupted score because they're, they're in a place where they're forced to be innovating because they're just trying to, to manage their, in their own role. And as they're dealing with the friction in their own role, then they're coming up with innovative ways for, for the business to move forward. It's, it, it's so eye-opening. You know, and I can see it so clearly now. I'm thinking, you know, here I am, let's say the owner of a company with 80 to 100 employees and I'm in a mature industry and and I'm trying to think about how my industry is going to be disrupted and what that's going to look like. We, you know, it's, it's going through the metamorphosis, <clears throat> uh, the digital transformation and technology that's going to be available in the next two years and and what it's going to look like, you know, with my employees it's it, it's got to be a little scary for for businesses today because you know as, as i think you said earlier in our podcast about how there are going to be jobs uh, created that aren't even in existence right now and companies that you know, category leaders that are going to come in and disrupt entire industries that don't exist right now it's it's got to be hard to imagine being disrupted by a company that doesn't exist because I would naturally be thinking, how do I prevent that from happening? So, so what kind of allocation of time? So if we're looking at this uh, for the listeners, you have the weeds of your business, which is all about execution, right? I'm, I'm going to execute my plan. I'm looking three to five feet in front of me and I'm plowing ahead. And then there's the clouds of your business where it's the 20,000 foot view where I, where I am now, where I've been and where, where we're going to. Um, what kind of allocation of time should companies be giving to the clouds of their business? Hmm. So I, I think uh, at least 20%, but I, I'm going to flip that a little bit or say, because I think we can know that. I mean, as you were saying that I was thinking, oh yeah, I need to be focusing on the clouds of my business. Right. And I think, um, the, one of the best ways to do that is if you think about each of your employees, um, you've got, you know, your people who are the, the sweet spotters who are executing, right? They're in the middle of that curve. They're really executing for you. I think one of the best ways for you to get people to think about the clouds are the people at the top of the curve to, to reflect on what they're learning and what they're seeing. But when you take people who are at the top and put them at the bottom, they are in this almost counterintuitive place to see the clouds because they're looking at the business, they've got some expertise, domain expertise, expertise with the industry, and yet they're looking at it from a whole new perspective. Let me give you a quick example. Not too long ago, I was brought in to do some consulting with a, a media um, a media company that's and that industry is in tremendous upheaval, and they had just done a huge um, 
disrupted people. People were in new roles. They had done a massive restructuring, reorg, and they put people in new roles. And the first thing that when I administered the S-curve locator for the entire organization, I looked at the data in aggregate, all of the people were showing up either in the sweet spot or at the high end. And 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 that was not where they should have been, right? If you've all in new roles, they should have been at the low end of the the learning curve. And so, as I started to look behind the initial high level data at some of the questions, the way people were answering them, it turned out that a lot of people had neutral answers. And neutral sometimes means not this, not that. But when you say you ask the question, "I'm really daunted by the work in front of me," and people are saying neutral, that usually means I'm terrified, but I don't want to say it. <laughs> and so when I when I said to them, okay, a lot of you are in the sweet spot, but I think that means you're sheltering in place. When I look at these answers, you're actually at the low end of the learning curve. And if you're willing to own that you're at the loan of the learning curve, that is huge for you as a company because now you've got all of these people who have great domain expertise, who know the industry, but you're in this slightly different place where you don't know what you're doing. You're going to look at the big picture in a very different way. And I think that's where you've got this opportunity to uncover some really interesting strategic opportunities and, and insights. And so I think that's, I, I instead of sort of saying, allocate your time, I would say, how do you allocate your people? And in the the struggle for them to figure out how to do their job, they're also going to discover and think about the clouds because they're forced to think about the big picture. But making that change and and reallocating uh, your your employees and, and putting them in positions where they can, you know, they start at the low end and they move their way up. There, I've always been a um, of the mindset that it's, it takes one of two things. It's either the carrot or it's the stick, right? You'll be rewarded. You'll be, you know, you'll, you'll come to work every day, happy and energetic. And the, the stick approach is, look, if we don't do this, we're going to be out of business in about 18 months because there's a tsunami of change coming our way. Um, are you a fan of, of either approach or is it kind of a, a mix depending on the company? I think it's a mix. Um, what I think is interesting is that um, we all want to grow. We all want to develop. Um, we we know that that's important. I think and there's this belief that if we're at the top of a learning curve and we say, jump, it's going to be fun, bungee jump with your career. Um now, that that just doesn't motivate most of us. Um, we'd like to think that it does, but the reality is, is that most of us, I would say, based on the research, probably 90% of us, great, great work by Heidi Grant around this of being whether you're prevention or promotion focused, and 90% of us are prevention focused. And so one of the best ways to get us to make these changes that I'm talking about is to make it scarier not to change, to say things like, um, if you don't allow your people to jump to new curves, if you're people who are at the top of the curve who want to stay there forever, you're not willing to force them to jump to a new curve, to gently nudge them to a new curve, um, they're going to they're going to get complacent and complacent um, people don't innovate. They may not even really work. And if they don't um, if they don't innovate, you're going to become less competitive. And if you become less competitive, you're going to get disrupted. And so if you can start playing that out for people, I think, yes, there is the there is the carrot approach. And I think that many times that works, but the but the the stick is not to be overlooked because sometimes that's exactly what we need in order to get us to do something different. 
So I just I found one of my key takeaways from today, which you said, complacent people don't innovate. I love that saying. Uh, and that is that is so true. And and I, I think I, I just had a conversation yesterday with a client about introducing uh, systems into their company uh, because they have a fairly high turnover rate. And that's that's a totally separate conversation. But but what I said was you, you need to introduce this system for the long term so that it, it generates leads for your company as opposed to people going out there cold calling. And the client was reluctant uh, to introduce that. They said, you know, which I think we're just going to stick with with what what seems to be working right now. And I said, well, it's not working. Otherwise, you wouldn't have called me. But you can't be afraid to introduce something long term that's not going to have an immediate impact on your business, but you know it's the foundation for change. And I said, if you introduce this system, it will it will help your salespeople a lot more in terms of getting qualified leads and maybe it'll reduce your turnover. But they it's just sitting in their comfort zone saying, you know what? Uh, I got my Oreos. I got my milk. I got my TV. I'm pretty good right here until somebody comes along. And it, it's almost becomes inevitable that somebody's going to come in and take your business away from you because you weren't paying attention because you were too focused on keeping the status quo because that seems to have worked for you. And that's the it's a fear. It's the fear of making that change. Yeah, it's a fear of making a change. And also simply, um, you know, you've got product to ship today. And it takes a lot of energy. I mean, inertia takes less energy. It takes a lot of energy to change. And so, um, so yeah, so when you're able to say to them, look, you need to jump. And again, this goes back to what I said at the very beginning, I want to make it safer for people to change and have this seven point framework of, okay, um, it's more, it's more dangerous for you not to change. We know that from the data, here are seven things that you can do and be able to give people not only put in place a system to make things different, but also give them a change management framework, which effectively disrupt yourself is. And by saying, okay, what can that look like? And, and as you're moving along, play to your strengths and embrace the constraints that are going to come along with this and battle our own sense of entitlement because we're all entitlement and, and helping people have, have, you know, you, you manage the systems, but this framework basically helps you manage not only the strategic side, but the emotional side of making that change. Mm. All right, we are in the. I cannot believe we're already in the home stretch of this podcast. It seems like that happens whenever I talk to you. You know, it's. I find myself taking a lot of notes. Uh, you have such great advice for companies, uh, but I want to. I want to kind of highlight some of the points that you made, and and then uh, give people an opportunity if they wanted to connect with you. How, what's the best way? So, help me summarize. Um, what we talked about today before, before you disrupt your team or your company, you should disrupt yourself. Is that accurate? Amen. Okay. Okay. Amen. There, there you go. So Can I get starts- an amen? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Amen. Um, so, uh, disrupt yourself first. And, and I would highly recommend your book, disrupt yourself. I'm very, I don't do it often, but I'm very, very comfortable. I can tell people that it had a measurable impact on the way I approach my business and my life. Um, because I am one that, that will figure out a way to get whatever I need and kind of bring it into my comfort zone rather than going out and doing it. So, um, okay, so so change yourself before you change your team. 
And then the second point is um, you need to be proactive. You need to get ahead of the the kind of the changes that are coming and, and you need to have a plan. I wouldn't do it alone. I would have other people work with you on your plan to see the big picture and, and to then make sure that you have the right people in the right place for maximum efficiency and effectiveness. That's right. And, and when you do that, when you're willing to do that, um, when you're willing to put your people into the right places, then there you've got everybody on your team working. And as they are disrupting themselves, then the organization will be able to be an agent of disruption. So there's this contagion effect of you you start with yourself, then there's this knock-on effect. Other people are disrupting themselves. And as they figure out how to play where no one else is playing, um, then they start to figure out a way for your company to be able to be innovative and remain um, uh, vital and and disruptive and innovative and competitive. Got it. And then the last point is um, disruption can be a good thing. Um, follow your seven step framework so that it makes it somewhat safer, you know, to disrupt yourself and your and your company, and that complacent people don't innovate. And in the end. That's what's going to either save your business or put you out of business is is the approach that you take to change. Exactly. And and I my I would put my final point on that, which is because disruption implies that you're playing where other people are not playing. Think of a playground where you're on the playground by yourself, um, uh, at least initially, if it's scary and if it's lonely, you're on the right path to disruption. You're on the right path to change. And I think that 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 goes back to my initial comment that I want to make it safe for people to change. Just remember that if you do feel scared, if you feel lonely, that's where you want to be at least initially, because that means that you're, you're pursuing this disruptive course. And according to the theory of disruption, your odds of success are six times higher and your revenue opportunity, 20 times greater when you pursue a disruptive path. I'm going to go do that today. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to finish this podcast and I'm going to start forging a new path somewhere in my industry uh, to, to generate that type of revenue. Uh, this has been phenomenal. It, it really has. And I appreciate your time today. Uh, for our listeners uh, who want to follow up with you, uh, what what is uh, listen to your podcast, buy your books, connect with you? What what are some of the ways they can do that? I think the easiest thing to do is to go to my website at WhitneyJohnson.com. Um, if you want to download the diagnostic, again, it's backslash diagnostic. And then um, if you want to sign up for my newsletter, you can obviously email me at WJ at WhitneyJohnson.com or just sign up directly on the website. And I would love to hear from you. All right. Fantastic. Uh, and your book, Build an A-Team, comes out May 1st. Correct. Correct. And, and we can... We can- Order it on Amazon right now? Yeah, you can order it on Amazon, at your local bookstore, at Barnes & Noble, wherever wherever books are sold. Okay, well, fantastic. Thank you, Whitney Johnson. It's been a pleasure, and I want to thank Oracle for sponsoring our podcast today, and you've been listening to the Small Business Edge podcast with Brian Moran. Have a great day, everyone, and I hope it's disruptive. You've been listening to the Small Business Edge podcast with Brian Moran sponsored by Oracle. Please visit our website, smallbusinessedge.com for a listing of future podcasts.